The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My name is Connor James Palomares. Uh, I'm an intern here uh, this year, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to worship with you guys tonight. Um, we're going to wrap up our series that we've called The Heart of It All. Uh, if you think back three weeks ago, another intern, Carly, came up here and she spoke. Uh, she spoke into Jesus' Jesus's humanity and the fact that he, he had fingers and toes. Uh, two weeks ago, our Young Life College uh, staff member, Brooke Watson, came up here and she spoke about sin. A really tough task to do, but she did an amazing job. Um, she talked about the reason why Jesus had to come down to earth. And last week, Brian Petermeyer uh, gave a very spirited and um, <laughs> graphic portrayal of, of how sin entered the world and, and why Jesus' purpose, uh, ultimate purpose uh, here on earth was to die on the cross. And so tonight I am blessed with the opportunity to speak on the final chapter of Jesus' life and death, and that is the resurrection. Now, before I go a little uh, any further, I should probably pray. So, could you all bow your heads with me? Father God, you are good to us. Though we are undeserving of your love, you freely cover us with your glory, and in return, ask that we honor you and love you in return. Please show us your presence here tonight, Lord. God, I ask that the words I speak are yours and yours alone, that you are received in the hearts of each and every one here tonight. God, we thank you and we love you. Amen. All right. So as we continue, I guess it's only fair that I share a little bit about myself with you guys. You are stuck with me for about a half hour. So I am from Yakima, Washington. Um, and actually, we have a few baby pictures here. I'm told there's a, I'm told there's a uh, competition between interns of like who has the cutest. And I mean, that right there is just, that's money right there. Um, but yeah, so I was born in Yakima, Washington. Uh, born and raised. I have one younger sister. See, look at that. I was balling at like three right there. Mm, looking good. I have a, I have a younger sister uh, who, her name is Alexa. She is a senior at WSU right now. Tried to get her to come over here, but she just went the opposite direction. It's all right. Um, I have one older sister who is from my dad's first marriage. She's 12 years older than me. And even though that technically makes me the, the middle child, she has alcohol syndrome. And so I've always felt as if I was the oldest. I would say um, that I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we went to church. Uh, when I was little, I went to Sunday school, served my time. Uh, I paid my debts and... <laughs> When they opened the door, I was the first one out. Um, I memorized my verses. I got my Bible. I sang on Palm Sunday. Uh, she's keeping the pictures rolling. I like it. Uh, but around the age of like eight or nine, sports really took over our family. It kind of took over. It became our religion in our household. Um, and so shortly after that, we, we stopped going to church and we became what's called a, a Christer family. You only go to Christmas on, or you only go to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, yeah, we weren't very well known or liked in the church. Um, and, uh, 
as I, as I continue to, to, to grow up, my, my faith really did not pick up from the age of eight, really. Uh, and, and as I continued to grow up, I, I went to East Valley High School out in the middle of the hot fields. I don't know if anybody, anybody knows where that is. Probably not. It's whatever. Um, yeah, there's some, some basketball photos. That's me. I'm standing out there. I hit my growth spurt really early. <laughs> I think in that picture I was, I was about 10. So just so you know, just kidding. I, I was probably like 12 or something like that. Um, <laughs> at East Valley High School, I was a good student. I was top 10 in my class. I was a student athlete. Um, there's some more pictures. My weight really varied depending on what season. <laughs> I, I noticed that. Like when I was in football, like I just ate whatever I wanted. When I was in basketball, I just ran. And when I was in baseball, I just kind of I just hung out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I made a lot of good friends while I was in high school. Uh, a lot of a lot of close connections with uh, with the bros. There we are. Um, yeah, don't ask what we're doing there. Um, they're good guys. They're good guys. I I uh, you can get the next picture. You can get the next picture. <laughs> there's, there's some more some more friends. Probably hit the next one. I don't know what we're doing there either. Um, yeah, anyway, sorry, sorry, a little too far there. Um, <laughs> awesome. Sorry, Janie. <laughs> so when I graduated high school, I decided to leave sports behind. I hung up my cleats. I didn't want to try out for D2 or get cut from a D1 school. That would hurt my pride too much. So I just went to, I just decided to come to UW. Uh, and study biology. So I don't have a graduation photo, as you could tell, uh, because actually just last quarter I graduated with a degree in biology, physiology. Thank you. On honestly, I'm pretty sure they were just like, we got to get this guy out of here. Like, just, just go. Here's your degree. You can get out of here. Um, yeah. And I, I, I loved my time here. It's an awesome campus. Um, and just Let's hear a couple facts about me. I, I really enjoy videos. I love surfing YouTube. Just, I'll spend hours. That's how I procrastinated way back when I was a college student and how I spend my lunch breaks to this day. Uh, anything, like stupid, hilarious, crazy videos, I, I love it. Secondly, I had an obsession when I was a child with peeing outside. Um, <laughs> My mom, my mom used to get super, super angry because she would go from the car, unlock the door, and turn around, and I was already peeing on her bushes. Like I just, I like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, I was marking my territory. You know, it's just like a rite of passage. You know that I hope, you know, if I have a son one day, we'll we'll do the same. Make me proud. <laughs> uh, another fact. Lastly, um, I love stories. I love hearing stories. I love sharing stories. Uh, one of my favorite memories from my time in college is a last-minute camping trip with a few friends, Mitchell Kahn's, Emily Sittler, and Amanda Tensler. We all just decided to pack up a car load of stuff and just go wherever we could build a fire, and we camped out, uh, sat around the campfire just sharing stories. It was awesome. So I'll, I'll share a few stories with you guys tonight, um, but you guys have to promise that this is a safe place, that there's going to be no judgment that uh, I, can, I can share freely and you guys aren't going to make fun of me. Um, so I'll, I'll start off with a story. Uh, this is my most embarrassing moment story. And uh, I'm actually really not that embarrassed by it, to be honest. I, I, 
I just feel really bad. Um, but uh, about two, two summers ago, a good friend of mine, longtime friend, old roommate, was having a wedding, and he asked me to be a groomsman. Um, it was a beautiful wedding. It was a great, great reception, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of dancing. Um, and anyway, so we, we go to pick him up at his new apartment for his, uh, for his bachelor party. So as we get there, knock on the door, I, uh, I decide, you know, it's a bachelor party. Let's get the night started off right. I'm going to moon him as he opens the door. <laughs> I also like to moon people. I just like to do a lot of stupid stuff. Um, so we knock on the door. I turn and I, I drop trowel. And <laughs> sure enough, the door opens. And one of my friends is standing in front of me. And he just like, he bolts, just dying laughing. The guy, the guy standing next to me, he's just looking at me with a straight face, just shaking his head. And I'm like, oh, no. I pull up my pants, and as I turn around, it is not my friend's apartment. And this middle-aged Mexican woman is standing in front of me. She is, she is not pleased, to say the least. She was, she was so angry. She, she cussed us out. I, I heard words I never heard in my life. And... She, she threatened to call the cops. I mean, it was like, I felt so bad. And all, uh, the best part, all I could say in that moment, I felt so bad. All I could say was, I'm so sorry. That was not meant for you. And then I ran away. That, that was all I got. That was all I could get out. <laughs> oh, I hope this lady's listening and she had my apology. Um, yeah, now, although that, that story is, is pretty funny, and I have a lot more just like it, I have dozens upon dozens upon dozens of others that I wish I didn't have, of, of things that I, I wish I wouldn't have done, moments that I wish I could have back. And tonight, we're going to be looking into some of, the, some of these sins that, that I've committed and that we have all committed, and God's answer and complete answer to these sins. Personally, I think the resurrection is the most important aspect of Jesus' coming to earth. Because without the resurrection, I, I probably wouldn't be up here. I probably wouldn't be standing here. When I found out I was talking about the resurrection, my immediate response was, awesome, I get to talk about probably the most important aspect of our faith, the fundamental building block in which we build our faith on. <laughs> Sweet. Thanks, Janie. Appreciate it. <laughs> I can't see how this is going to go wrong. Um, and, and as I began to talk to people, I began to realize that, that this is a really, really hard thing to talk about. I got so many wide variety of answers. And the resurrection is weird. It's unnatural. It, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's just, it's weird. You know, I, I have a biology background, so... As I've come to know it, when someone's heart stops and they don't receive like an electrical shock within a timely manner, they can't just get up and walk away. It's not something that you come back from. Being a, being a Christian on Christmas is, is relatively easy. You know, I mean, we're, we're looking at, at a baby being born. We're looking at life coming into the world. People get hyped up for babies, I'm told. I don't know. Um, throw baby showers and stuff, yeah. It's a good time. Uh, but the resurrection is weird. It's hard to be a Christian on Easter. It's hard to sit in those pews and really think, do I believe 
what's being, what's being preached up front? Do I believe that, that Jesus is not just a man, but that he's a son, that he's the son of God and that God had the power to reverse death and bring him back to life? Now I know there's the whole virgin birth and I'm just, yeah, I know, I know it's, it's also weird, but it's, it's a little bit more understanding when, when you're looking at Christmas as, as opposed to Easter. I even had a couple people didn't even want to, didn't even want to converse about the topic. They, they didn't want to touch it. And all they could tell me was, was don't make your talk boring. And I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm telling you guys a story. I'm taking my pants off in public. Uh, but, but when I, when I hear, when I hear stuff like that, it reminds me that, that the resurrection, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is, is spoken so many times. We hear it every year at the same time. Many times we hear this so many times from, from young ages. And we just become numb. We, come, we, we become numb to this. We don't understand the magnitude of it. So we're going to take a look at where we are in Jesus' life. Um, and I'm going to summarize a bit of the resurrection story, the beginning, part, beginning half or so, uh, from the book of John, if you'd like to follow along. So Jesus has, Jesus has been crucified, and his body is being prepared it's been placed in the tomb, a brand new one, and a boulder is put in front with armed guards out, outside. Now, because Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and due to the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene, among other women, were coming on Sunday morning to uh, finish anointing Jesus' body and, and prepare it with oil and spices. When they get there, they find that, that the, the stone has been rolled away and that the tomb is empty. And the women panic. The first, thing, the first thing they think is not, oh, our Lord is risen, let's praise him. Their first response is exactly what, what I would say, and that's Jesus' Jesus' body has been stolen. We've got to figure out where it's at. Now, this idea that, that Jesus' body was stolen is, has been thrown around many times, even today, uh, but there are a few arguments against it. And when you think about it, this, this tomb was brand new. There was nobody else in it. It was made specifically for Jesus. It's not like there was a back door that someone could come in and out of. There's a giant boulder in front of it that the women, are, as they're walking, they're thinking, how am I going to, how are we going to move this giant boulder? Just enough so that we can get in. If that's not enough, there's an armed guard outside making sure that nobody gets in and, of course, nobody gets out. Probably the strongest argument for why Jesus' body wasn't stolen is that Christianity is alive and well today. They searched for Jesus' body and, and it was never found. His disciples continued, eventually, continued to share his words, share his works, share his wisdom and his teachings. They did this knowing full well that they were going to be met with hate that they were going to be met with persecution and could be put to death. Why would they do that if, if Jesus' body was stolen by them? Why would they do that if it was all just a lie? Now, going back to our story and this, this shocking finding that the women, women have come across, they, they, immediately, they immediately take off and go look for Simon Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. They all come rushing back. And of course, John is the first to the tomb, but he stops at the entrance. He looks inside, sees the linen and the cloth where it is, and doesn't go in. 
Simon Peter comes along, catches up. They go in. They take a look and they realize that the tomb is truly empty. Now let's, let's pause for a minute and, and take, a, take a look at, at why John stopped at the entrance. John is described as the disciple that Jesus loved. Wouldn't, wouldn't someone who is described by Jesus as the one that Jesus loved, wouldn't he be the first one to rush inside? Wouldn't he be the first one to come to the help, to come to the aid of the fallen Messiah? There are, there are a few different theories as to why he stopped, and of course there's, there's no scriptural evidence to explain why he stopped, but th- these are all theories. But was it because he already understood what had happened, that Jesus has, has, had risen? Or was it because he was afraid that Jesus' body was still inside, and that this person that he had been following and cared about, loved, and believed in, was merely just a mortal human. Some think that, that John stopped because of religious beliefs around burial sites. At the time, graves were considered unclean, and it was considered impure uh, to, to come in contact with them. You would, you would be deemed spiritually impure. Now, I, I remember the very distinct moment where I, I came across uh, this similar fear. Um, as I said before, I, I grew up going to church, but then sports took over. And at the time, I was uh, I was a, a sophomore here at UW, going through a, going through a really rough breakup with a girl that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my do- rest of my life with. And she calls me one day and tells me that God has spoken to her, and that our relationship is not right. It's not right for her. Now, I, of course, I, I couldn't understand this at the time. I was. I was angry, I was sad, and I was alone. And I, I dealt with this, this pain and my sorrows the only way I knew how, and that was to try to numb them. That was to try to drown my sorrows in alcohol. I, uh, I remembered one Saturday, one Saturday night, that I decided what, what I was doing was wrong, what I was doing was unhealthy, and it, I wasn't finding any answers from places that I was looking. So I decided I, I needed to go to church. I needed to figure out what this whole God thing was. What did it mean? So I, I really only knew of one church around here, and that was UPC. I rode the 48 bus on 15th. 15th over there. I rode the 15th, 48 bus on 15th home every day. Um, and I decided I was going to come here. It was similar to the church I grew up going to, or I guess went to a few times. And... As, I, as I'm walking up to the doors, I remember stopping, literally stopping in front of the doors and looking up and kind of being like, all right, God, I'm going inside. Um, I'm really going to do it. This is your last chance to, like, smite me. And I, I honestly, I, I thought, like, lightning was just going to hit me. Um, or, like, maybe the building would just crumble as I tried to walk in. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I hadn't been to church in years at that time. And I didn't feel worthy of even sharing the pews with, with these good, you know, Christian folks. I didn't, I didn't feel worthy of that honor. The senior pastor, George Hinman here, was speaking on the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And I'll never forget verse 7. Uh, let, let he without sin cast the first stone at her. This really spoke to me. It really, it felt, as, as I sat in the, the, the back of those pews, I, I felt like the words were written and 
and spoken directly to me. And I walked out, I walked out feeling so joyful and, and so, so happy for the first time. It was like this weight had just been lifted off my chest. That's the wrong page. <laughs> don't allow, don't allow these fears of, of being inadequate or unworthy of God's love keep you from walking in those doors, keep you from entering the tomb. Experience God's love. Experience that relationship that Christ wants with you. Continuing on with our story, after John sees these linens and, and cloth inside, um, Simon Peter and John see this, they, they leave, not quite fully understanding what just happened. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting outside weeping, and two angels come to her, along with Jesus, and ask her what's wrong. And she confuses Jesus with the gardener and pleads with him to bring back Jesus' body. Jesus tells her, Mary, and she rec immediately recognizes him, and of course is shocked and overjoyed. She realizes who she's talking to, and he instructs her to go and find the disciples and tell them what she's experienced, tell them what, what happened. And she does. And now we're going to take a look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. So 19 starts like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, isn't that, isn't that kind of amazing? As Jesus is ascending to be with God, he leaves this, this parting gift, this blessing. He breathes the Holy Spirit on the disciples. And he sends them out into the world to love and forgive. Now, taken out of context, it can kind of seem as if Jesus is giving the disciples power over others power to, to judge and condemn. But, but really, it's, it's not the disciples. It's, it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that he has imparted with them. Jesus is a perfect example of how to use this Holy Spirit, of how to, of how to go out into the world in love and forgive. Name one time in the gospel where Jesus finds somebody who is seeking forgiveness from sin and seeking love, and he denies that, he denies them that, and, and in return shows hatred and condemnation to them. It's, it doesn't happen. You can't find it. Just as, just as Jesus loved with the Holy Spirit, he, he blesses us with this opportunity to do the same. He sends us out to love and to forgive and to show God's grace and hope to the rest of the world. Picking back up in verse 24, we see, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. So when Jesus came 
So, uh, or he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood, uh, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I can't begin to tell you the number of, of times and, and the number of ways that I, I've responded just, just like Thomas. I, I, I sit in church even today. I sit, I sit in church and, and half the time I can't pay attention. Half the time I can't, I can't focus on what's being said. And I, and I sit there and I just start to feel, feel ashamed and feel guilty that I can't connect with the sermon or with who's speaking. And, and as I sit there feeling bad, I, I, these doubts start creeping into my mind. I start thinking about, was Jesus even real? Is this, is this thing that we, that we call faith? Is that, is that real? Am I just buying a sham? Am I, am I just drinking the Kool-Aid without even asking any questions? There are so, so many times where I, I, I'm reading scripture and I come across stories uh, that make me scratch my head, that, 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 that make me wonder if, 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 what I'm, if what I'm believing is true. I mean, Jesus spitting in dirt and mixing it and rubbing it on somebody's eyes to, to cure blindness. He's, he's walking on water, turning water into wine. Now, I, I can't lie, that last one would be kind of fun. Um, I gotta be honest. But I've seen plenty of, of weird and, and somewhat unnatural things. But nothing, nothing like, like curing blindness. Nothing, nothing like breaking the natural physics of that is earth. Nothing like rising from the dead. I completely understand how Thomas feels. I, I, I too want to see Jesus's hands. I want to feel the marks left by the nails, and I want to see that wound, and I want to feel that wound on his side. I want to—I don't just want to see Jesus. I want to—I want to feel his fingers and toes. I want to—I want to really, really experience Jesus. But Jesus does something in the, in this moment that's really cool. He—he he comes to Thomas and he allows him to fulfill this need to not just see him but to feel. He shows him love compassion and grace in a time where he could have easily just cast them aside. He then imparts some wisdom saying, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Folks, I, I wasn't at the, the tomb that morning. Neither were you. I, we don't have this opportunity to, to, to touch the, the physical body of Jesus. But just as Thomas was met with love and grace in his doubts, we are met with love and grace in our doubts as well. Jesus speaks to us in so many ways. Some people hear an audible voice. Some people experience, <coughs> experience this through scripture, through prayer, through mentors, through peers, through this community. I can't tell you the number of times where, where, 
where God has spoken to me through, through all of you guys, through, through this community, is speaking to me truths. It's told me that I'm not who I was in high school. It's told me that I'm not who I was a year ago, I'm not who I was yesterday, and I am not just a helpless sinner. I'm here to tell you guys tonight that each and every one of you guys is loved by God. And not just loved by God, but you are worthy of God's love and grace and this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's okay to have doubts. Doubts, although they feel wrong, it's, they're fine. It's okay. If you're doubting, that means that you're, you're, you're contemplating, you're thinking, you're using what God gave you for free, you're using your brain. But when you, when you allow these doubts to just eat away at you and just, just chew you up and spit you out, you're opening yourself up to the devil. When you, when you are, when you're so ashamed and, and feeling guilty, you're ripe for the picking. You're ready to just hand over your soul and just, and just accept the fact that you've sinned and, and, and believe that there's nothing else that you can do. There's no redemption for you, that you are not worthy of God's love. The beauty of the resurrection is, is pretty simple. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again to give us new life. When, when we speak of, of this sacrifice that God made and, and, and his love through this action, most of the time, I, I, me personally, I find myself going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Jesus came to earth, did some awesome stuff, some miracles. Then he died on the cross. I know. He died for my sins. But we miss this little, this little part at the end. The part that says that he rose again on the third day. Without this, we, we miss the ultimate purpose of God's or of Jesus' life and death here on earth. We are freed from the chains of sin because of this. A door is open for us, a doorway to heaven, a doorway to life in Christ. We are reborn in Christ and we are, we are given this opportunity to have a life rooted in holy righteousness and loving relationship with God. Ultimately, this choice is ours. It's ours alone to make. Whether we embrace God's love and grace and allow his, his love to fill our hearts. You guys want the truth? I'll, I'll give you the truth. I'll give, I'll give it to you too straight. And know that I don't, I don't say these things with, with pride. I say, them, I say them with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame that I'm still to this day trying to get past. I've had multiple sexual partners. I've abused alcohol, abused weed, and multiple other drugs. I've lied, I've stolen, I've cheated, damaged property, I drove drunk more times than I'd like to admit. I've failed classes, and I, I lost a scholarship. I had a four-year tuition scholarship to UW. I lost it after two years because I couldn't keep my grades up. I've fallen down from grace far too many times, but each time I'm not, I'm not met with hatred, condemnation. I'm met with love and grace. 
God boldly just says that, that this does not define me, that I'm not defined by my past or my past mistakes. And neither are you. We are not defined by who we were in the past. We're not defined by our failures, by our, by our shortcomings, or by our inadequacies. Allow your sins to be with Jesus. Allow them to die on the cross. Nail them up there. Because from the death of those sins, we are reborn. We are given this opportunity to be reborn. Grab onto that opportunity. Hold it tightly. Allow yourself to be built up into the image that God has created for you. God and God alone has the ability to reverse death. God and God alone has the power to take away your sins, to nail them to that cross and to let them burn and die. From those ashes, we can be reborn. Better, stronger, full of joy, full of love. Through this weird, unnatural expression of power that is the resurrection, God covers us with love and grace and hope. All you have to do is accept this truth. Truly understand and believe the beauty and the majesty that is the, resur- that is the resurrection. The beauty and the majesty that is our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Lord God, you work in mysterious ways. Weird, unnatural ways. Ways that our minds cannot comprehend. Through this unnatural power, your love for us is abundant. And though we don't deserve it, you take away our sins and replace them with grace and love and hope. We may stumble, we may fall, and though we doubt, you stay forever faithful. For the greatest act of love, the death of your son Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we are saved and our worth is solidified in you. We cannot begin to thank you enough for this blessing. We love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.